Hello, and welcome to the Paid Red Quarterly Slush File. Thank you so much for dialing us up today. Uh, we're having a very special episode, just like those, you know, after-school specials um, today, uh, in that we are not going to discuss uh, poetry that's been submitted to us, but instead we're just going to talk about, not just, we're going to talk about the issue of the community um, that poets build for one another and um, how we spread the word of the word and all of those things. Um, we're, it's, we have some of the usual players here, but we have a special guest today and that is Cynthia Dewey Oka. And um, we're, we'll do a little, we'll do a little self-introduction, I think, in another minute. Um, so yeah, thank you. And uh, as always, slushies, um, tell us your thoughts as well. Uh, after you listen in. So I guess I will start with Cynthia, who what we often do, Cynthia, is talk about where we're calling in from, uh, Zooming in from. And so you've got an opportunity to do that too. So hello, and thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm so excited to be here. I feel like Kathleen, we like, I mean, it's been many years. Um, and uh, PBQ Ashley also published like a number of my poems like um, a few years ago. And it's just been a real joy to like collaborate with you all. So I feel incredibly grateful to be here. I am calling in from Lenox, Massachusetts, where I just moved uh, a few days ago um, to take up my role as poet in residence at the Amy Clampett House. It's a very cool residency. So it's six to um, six months to 12 months and it's funded and you kind of just get to live in this beautiful house that used to belong to Amy Clampett and write whatever you want. <laughs> I mean, it's very new to me because I have been a mom for like the entire time that I've been a poet and I literally dropped off my son at college like the day before I drove out to Lenox and this is going to be like the first time that I'm by myself Maybe ever. <laughs> yeah, sure. Maybe. Um, yeah, like I, I'm, I'm just settling in. It's, it's so new, but I'm, I'm grateful to be here and a little scared too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we have Zoom. We can always chat if you feel lonely or the bears get close. Thank you. <laughs> so yeah, so thank you so much, and we have. Sad to say, Marion Wren is back in Abu Dhabi. I mean, I guess I'm not, I'm sad for me personally, mm -hmm. but she's doing all, working all the magic out there. Um, hi, Marion. Hello, Kathleen. Hello, Cynthia and Jason and Larissa and Kate. Yes, I'm back here in Abu Dhabi. It's almost sunset time here. Um, and I'm delighted to be on the call with you guys to talk about poetry community. And Cynthia, I'm, I, I, I feel like we're, we're some sort of virtual hug for you, right? As you're like doing this sort of like solo trek at the Clampett Residency, like we are right there with you on this Zoom call and wishing you well and, and thinking about you and sending you community vibes. Um, <laughs> from Abu Dhabi, I'm gonna bounce it to Jason. Hi, um, yeah, Jason Schneiderman. Um, I am all kinds of discombobulated because I am babysitting nephews um, who don't really need babysitting. I mean, they're they're fourteen; they're fine. But um, but yeah, I I am I'm realizing how much parenthood uh, takes up 
a lot of one's time. And as someone who's not a parent, um, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm really thrown. My game is a little thrown. 14 is tricky, tricky, tricky too. Very well, tricky. I'm, and I've taught kids that age and I keep reminding myself mm-hmm. that the thing about like adolescence is they go back and forth between seven-year-olds and 30-year-olds. Right, like, exactly. It's not as though you don't, you don't get this middle stage. Like they, they just go, they toggle and you get fooled and you're like, oh, okay. And then no. And then they toggle right. back and you're like, oh. <laughs> yeah, one, um, when I was pregnant with my third, I took a semester off of uh, teaching at college and taught, subbed in the K through 12 system just because I felt like I've never done this and what would it be like? And I just wanted to like taste that. And the middle schoolers scared the heck out of me. I did not, I thought I was going to have problems with the high schoolers and that they would be like, oh, you know, belligerent, you know, not doing the work or whatever. They were lovely. The middle schoolers are just so all over the place, you know? There are kids that are going home and playing with action figures and other kids that are, you know, going home and smoking pot and getting laid, you know, like all in the same room. So it's like, it's very confusing. Who am I teaching to, you know? It's very confusing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Are they identical twins? Just wondering about the- No, they're fraternal. Oh, good. Um, No, and they, they could not be more different. So good. Then you don't have any creep factor also happening with those scary identical <laughs> twins. <laughs> Just standing in all there's no creep that back. kind of thing. That isn't happening. Yeah. Good, good, good. Last but not least, we have Rogan Kelly. Hi, Rogan. Where are you? I'm in Morristown. It's good to meet everybody. All right. Which Morristown? The north one or the south one? Uh, north, yeah, northwest New Jersey. So Morristown, right? I, that confused me so much when I moved to New Jersey that there, yep. that there were two. There's a Morristown down here too, uh, closer to Philly. Yeah, yeah. But I'm so glad that you're here. And slushies, you know, we know you know how to Google. That's why we're not doing a straight up boring bio time, right? Because you know how to <laughs> right. Google. So we should just get to the. Uh, topic at hand, I think. And I think that, um, no pressure, Cynthia, but I'm going to bounce it to you um, because you are in such an interesting place and have had different poetry communities in your life. Um, And now here you are alone in Massachusetts. And are you, does that worry you about the work or do you feel like you'll be able to better focus when you don't have people pulling on you for your time? Right. Um, This is a great question. And yes, I think community has always been a very integral part of my poetics. Um, I actually started writing poems while I was a community organizer. So um, a lot of my earlier poems, you know, I wrote for Uh, various initiatives that we were doing like we have an anti-gentrification rally (laughs) like and um, wow that's awesome you know and uh so in terms of thinking about poetry and its place and it's it's uh one of its roles being you know kind of rallying people together bringing people together giving voice to a collective experience that actually was the norm I think for me um as a as a younger poet and actually like becoming 
more finding more of like my own voice and centering myself more in my um, lived experiences, my own history. Um, that's been the journey for me. It's been kind of like, okay, like both things can exist, you know, simultaneously. And um, yeah, I mean, like the first writing workshop I ever went to, which was Vona, like back in the day, was and the first one I went to was 2009. I couldn't have gone. I was like a single mom working three jobs. <laughs> and it was my community who like donated the resources for me to be able to go. That's so every like I really feel like I owe every you know like all my um like my even my capacity to to write to like pursue the craft has been so interdependent with community and it's it's very different to be here to like arrive in this place and I also know that um I'm at that point in my life where like this is where I need to be I've been mm -hmm. juggling like motherhood and work and the art and organizing for like so long mm -hmm. and sometimes what gets difficult is like hearing my own voice yeah. um and I think this is going to be a training ground for me to do that because usually I'm hearing like 12 other people's voices first <laughs> before I get yeah oh and, I, yeah I yeah, just wrote that down. I love the way you said that, that you, you, you're interested in hearing your own voice. That's yeah. yeah. So I think this is going to be really like a, a training ground for that to kind of counterbalance the mm -hmm. experiences that I've had up to this point. Yeah. Right, right. That's terrific. And you know, since that's a nominated position that you have, mm -hmm. your community is what gave you this year. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Um, and, you know, like, there's also, like, I mean, we think about, there's, like, different ways to think about community, right? Like, I mean, Amy Clampett basically decided when she received her MacArthur Fellowship that she was going to use the money to, like, buy this house and share it with the community of future poets. Right. Wow. And so it's a, like, I am in a lineage of, like, it's like a vertical um, community, like, across time that I am inheriting right now. Um, so yeah. Right. That's why there'll be only good ghosts at your house. See? Yeah. That's what I'm, I'm thinking. Okay. Yeah. Friendly ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> that's wonderful. Jason, I'm, I'm thinking too about the fact that you've done, um, residencies and, you know, you've worked in various ways too. How do you think when you're enmeshed in something, it influences your work? Um, it's it's really interesting because I mean one of the things that I've been thinking a lot about with residencies um, is how much technology has changed them. That I remember being at Yaddo and the only way to communicate with the outside world was the phone booth outside the dining hall. And when you were there, you were there. Um, you know, unless yeah. and there was always someone who was like waiting for a phone call from an agent or you know something sort of exciting. And I was really young at the time. But now I like just earlier this year, I had a residency and everyone like we couldn't agree on a dinner time because everyone had, you know, all of these Zooms and all of these classes. And it was really interesting to me. And it it made me realize I had a, I've, I've been really lucky and I had another residency again later this summer. And I had to kind of like take a step to be like, oh, no, 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 I can't. I, I have to be away. 
Um, yeah. I can't Zoom. I can't, you know, sort of have all of these these forms of connection. And so the residency is kind of. Um, I, I do feel like there's a there's community spaces and isolated spaces and kind of the way that we come together and the ways that we're alone um, have changed so much. Yeah. Um, and I have always found residencies really valuable. Um, I love that going away and being alone. And I realized that actually being alone might be harder than it once was. Um, and I don't know, Cynthia, how's how that feeling now that you're at the Clampett House? I mean, it's, it's only been a few days, so do check with me a little bit later down the road. Um, <laughs> but it's felt really nice. And I, I do, I completely, I love that you named it. It's, it is difficult to be alone now because we're so plugged in all the time. Like I may want, you know, in my mind to be by myself, but my phone is like dinging 50 million notifications. It's like, right. we're just so constantly in a barrage of contact and um and I don't know I think it requires almost like extra discipline or something to to carve out the time like it feels like extra I remember um really appreciate I had a residency at the Vermont Studio Center some years ago and like it was similar like there was no wi-fi yeah and it became like it was like enforced by the environment that you couldn't have outside stuff um and you know I think that's good for like short period for like a for the birth of period for like a month or like three months at the most but like I, I have been kind of re reconsidering what that means here because this is such a long one I'm like yeah. do I want to go without people for like like 10 months like what if I like, you know what I mean? I could be like a totally crazy person. <laughs> right. Um, so yeah. how do you kind of maintain the balance has been, that's a big question for me right now. Right, right. When Rachel Zucker um, once said that technology and cell phones have made us all moms because we're all completely interruptible all the time. That that experience of kind of being, you know, someone else can always be there, you know, knocking on the door, like you can't even go to the bathroom by yourself. Um, that technology makes us all mall. We ha all have that experience. Yeah. You know, I, I, I hope you guys all see how my train of thought is going this way. But Marion, when she does her own writing, has always loved to do it in a coffee shop. And mm -hmm. I don't, I can't do that at all. I'm very distracted. I like look at people's shoes when they come in and eavesdrop okay. other conversations. But you've always wanted to be out in the world while you write right. there. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering if you might talk about that. Yeah, you know, it, I also love libraries, right? And it, I, I feel like achy for those spaces because they're hard to enter into these days, you know, without masks or with masks or with permission or without permission with vaccines or without vaccines, right? So that, that third space of the coffee shop was always such a freaking delight just go to, right? And and sit and write and be. Um, and I would used to love going to the Rose Room at the New York Public um, and just like sitting down at those long tables for hours, right? And just being with other people, but doing my own thing. Um, and for me, that also carries over into um, more like impromptu or unofficial residencies or, or workshops. Mm -hmm. So I've, I've long been like, 
involved with writers from New York University's expository writing program. And we will go for like, like what on the surface looks like vacation weekends, right? But we'll basically rent a big house, like 10 people will descend on that house. And then for four days, it's like that we're just in time with each other. Right, we write all day and then we have these communal meals at night and then we share poems with each other. And every single time I go, I leave feeling like doubled down and committed to projects and feeling really lucky for those people in my life too. Um, so yeah. I was lucky enough to be hooked in on one of those trips once and, and I found it just fascinating how well everybody did follow their self-imposed rule. We were like monks all day long. You would barely say hello when you went in the kitchen to get a coffee or something if somebody was working there, you know, but then at five o'clock you'd hear the, the laughter would begin. <laughs> Voices would start floating and coming together. It was really wonderful. Rogan, I know you the least of our panelists today, so I don't know what experiences you've had or, or what you'd like to speak about, about, about that, about just writing itself and, and what, how it's best served for you. Yeah, no, I, I, well, I, it's funny. I feel like I know all of you. Um, just, I, I think we've been in and around the scene. Um, I mean, I, I, I feel like I grew up at KGB and catching reading readings and 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 see Jason doing his thing there, yeah. and um, uh, his partner gave me my my first feature reading at uh, at the Ear Inn. Oh, jeez, um, that's nice. cool! Love these little connections. That's true. Right. That is a long time ago. <laughs> I was I was twenty years old and uh, and a fill in. They they needed somebody last minute, and um, <laughs> that's but, great. But it was a wonderful experience, and and you know, B.J. Ward was probably my first poetry mentor, and and um, I was in college and doing a paper on poetry, and I called him up. I found his number in the phone book, and called him up, and he, he talked my ear off for about an hour and about poetry, and then he invited me to this school uh, poets and schools program that he was doing at the time. Oh my gosh! And to be you know. 20, 21 years old and and see and and be talking about the vitality and 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 of poetry and how vital and necessary it is and to see any of us who know BJ how full life he is. Yeah. And then to see him igniting uh, a classroom of fifth graders. Um, you know, it was it was and and that they were writing these poems and 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 you know, I mean children are unhinged with metaphor and and or are grounded in 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 that metaphor I mean, it's wild and and um you know that was kind of my 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 base where i started from oh, so. wow that's amazing what a call it, many other you know only bj would do exactly all of that you know give you all that help and guidance and and um he's always looking behind him to help people up you know, Absolutely. yeah, yeah, that's really great. Um, I'm not sure where to steer this next. I'm wondering what other, um, you know, we've talked about the fact that we can't, we can't not talk about COVID as Marion just did. And I don't want to um, focus on that. In fact, I haven't mentioned it yet, but one of the, this is an important topic, but the catalyst for writing it was um, Collingswood is having uh, a book festival on October 2nd in Collingswood, New Jersey. And these are, it's a street fair that's all about books and reading and um, 
last year, the organizers did lots of things virtually, but they still managed to have a beautiful, amazing reading with uh, Greg Pardlow as the keynote um, on the lawn in front of the Scottish Rite. And, mm -hmm. and, and I, I just so appreciated that they still, they did have that face-to-face -face time, you know, even though we wore masks <laughs> um, and we're sitting outside. Sitting outside. Um, so what I've always loved about the Collingswood Festival that's very different than other ones. You know, when you go to AWP, everybody is like you, right? You're, in a, you're with a, so many like-minded people. When you go to the Collingswood Book Fair, because it is a street fair, and there's also lots of things for kids and food vendors and, you know, and all of that, I, I said, I, I have explained to people what a lit mag is, right? And I love that because, you know, there are thousands of people who don't know, right? And usually when you go to a book thing, only the bookie people go, right? So... Anybody have any thoughts on that, on the importance of these public? Like, I love that it's a forward-facing fair. Let me use. Well, you know, let me jump in on that and say one of the things that has been remarkable and a constant delight here in Abu Dhabi has been um, Dorian Paul Rogers' Rooftop Rhythms series, right? So it's a open mic um, event that they run monthly, right, at NYU Abu Dhabi. And... It was big um, before he associated with the college, right? Um, with the university, it used to be at hotels in Abu Dhabi, hence the name Rooftop Rhythms. And people from all over the region would just like come in and participate. Um, and these were really like packed houses for poetry. Like it was such a surprise to, you know, coming from the US to see this kind of liveliness. Um, in the last couple, like year and a half, right? Since everything sort of moved online, the poetry um, series was on Facebook, right? So you'd think that would have like, democratized everything and there would be even more um, people tuning into the series. But what happened is it sort of flattened it. It was, a, it was somehow less special, right? Um, than that sort of communal space. So I think they're gonna move it from Facebook to uh, like a Zoom version, right? Maybe that's gonna give them a little bit more um, specialness on the call, so to speak. But they're also, I think, and I don't think I'm, I'm telling tales out of school here, they're also partnering with the Louvre Abu Dhabi, right? So they're moving the, the oh, series no. for a special event at the Louvre to activate that space, right, for this, um, for this poetry series. And I just, I just find that so fascinating how space and place, public access, the status of certain spaces, right? The, you know, Kathy, my God, how many decades were we doing poetry readings in bars in Philadelphia? It was just like a necessary um, space for that kind of work. And then just to, I don't know, like I'm, I'm really interested to see how Dorian makes this move and, and how it impacts the collective, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, if how many people that are there for a different reason float by, people who've never attended a reading before yeah. come in, yeah. yeah. But that like that distinction too of like, okay, so like a university is a middle ground, right? But like the Louvre is like an elite space. And you know, Doc Watson's, for those of you who remember in Philly, right? Like was was totally accessible, right? And, and so poetry in bars or poetry in museums, I think the spaces matter, which puts Collingswood Book Festival 
like square in the center of that. Like it's the street, it's the public street that is the space for the interaction. One of the, one of the things that I've sort of complained about in writing in various places is that um, at the beginning of my classes, um, I used to walk into kind of a low hum of students talking, and now I come into complete silence. And now I, I'm actually going to be back in a classroom for the first time in um, God over a year and a half. Um, but but what that that told me was that there there had been a time when the classroom was a place where students met and then kind of had new experiences as they interacted with each other, and that that silence of the looking at the phone meant to me that they were communicating with people they already knew that they weren't kind of meeting new people in the class, that they were kind of staying in the space that they'd already come from. And I was always very aware of how different um, cities were in terms of kind of the poetry scene in New York, where I am and love and stay. Um, you know, the ear in that Rogan mentioned, I mean, that was a very small space. New York, if, if, if what you care about is audience, if what you care about is having a lot of people in the room to listen to you, New York is a terrible place to read. Um, because one, you know, a million things are happening every night. Um, so you're competing with, you know, just, just so many different events. And two, the, the poetry communities, I think, in New York are very, very small. I mean, they're very, these like little tiny eddies in as much, like the poetry community of New York writ large is enormous, but it fractures into kind of like a lot of really different small spaces, like whether you're in the St. Mark's crowd or the Bowery Poetry Club crowd or whether, you know, this crowd, that crowd. And, um, and I was always struck by when I went outside of New York, um, like Pittsburgh in particular, you know, you'd give a reading and there'd be so many people there because that's the poetry event for the month. Like if you care about poetry, you know, that's it for the month. Um, and so, you, you know, outside of New York, the poetry community just felt very different. And there was a kind of scarcity um, that I often encountered in contrast to kind of New York's abundance. Um, the other, and, and now I've been running, you know, um, KGB for a couple of years uh, with the, the number of other curators, um, Monday Night Poetry at KGB. And it's, it's just really interesting to kind of see how those spaces, but having moved online for Zoom, one thing that I think was, is really interesting is that you never know who couldn't be there until the circumstances change and they can. And so Zoom created a kind of accessibility um, that we had a lot of people who, because that space is not accessible, right? It was up a flight of stairs. It's really dark. Um, it's enclosed. Um, and so having, so I'm very aware on one hand of the way that kind of our move towards technology has sort of isolated us because we are often less open to these sort of, one of the things about the internet, the internet is, a lot of, is not a library because in a library, you find things you're not looking for. On the internet, you only encounter what you're looking for and what the algorithm keeps feeding to you that takes you deeper into what you like. Whereas in a library, you know, you, you kind of accidentally find the book next to the book. Um, and so it, it's doing this really interesting work that's really changing the way that we live and exist in communities. And I've been thinking about just how, how much I miss being um, an audience member and um, being able to kind of reflect physically to each other when we're really moved by something. Um, 
just, you know, like you can stomp your feet, you can, you can clap, you can look at each other and give knowing looks. And like, I, I, I feel like that is something I've really missed just kind of, because very often even in readings, um, like we are, I don't know everyone. Like if, I, if I'm coming as an audience member, definitely. Um, like I may have some friends in the crowd, but like a lot of the times it's just like, it's, a, it's, a, it's just a random group of people. But there's this kind of uh, exact, this, these kinds of like very intimate if contingent connections that are purely kind of communicated by like your body language that I really miss. Like the part that's like not even just the poetry. Um, and at the same time as a, as a poet, as like a performing poet, I find that um, I used to get like really nervous mostly for the time, like I enjoy reading, but I would have a lot of nervousness for the period after the reading when you're like, when people want to talk to you. Mm. Because sometimes I would feel like I'm not, like I'm in a different headspace and I'm like finding it difficult to like connect humanistically, not like robotically, you know, like, yes, thank you. Yes, thank you. <laughs> um, and there's something that I have appreciate, and, and usually also because like I, I like I mentioned, I, I'm, I was juggling so many things all the time. I would feel like the second I finished a reading, I was like thinking about dinner. Right. Or my kid, you know what I mean? Or like, did he finish his paper for tomorrow? Or like, what is on deck for my deadlines for work tomorrow? Like, it's, it's just like, I then move into this other space. And um, there's something easier about like the Zoom interface because you're already set up like that, like you're at your workstation and it feels like there's less pressure on this on the transition time so i but i again i feel like i may discover that i feel differently this year because finally i have some spaciousness you know so, so i also can't tell if like that was an effect which is the fact that my life was so jammed up that i couldn't when i came to read i had a more difficult time enjoying the space around the reading Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. as you know like um not like if I came as a reader and I was just like hype manning people and just like really enjoying the language there's just like it was such a marked difference for me um depending on what role I was playing so that's something I've been thinking about and um and another thing another thing that I've been and this is not fully articulated so anyone jump in if this resonates with you it's just like there's something about this current climate with like masking that reintroduces like anonymity like it kind of like I you know what I mean like when you have the mask and you're walking around in the city like I almost feel like there's like a layer between me and everyone else and um and I always like, you know, if I, if, if I didn't end up a poet, like I would have wanted to be a spy. <laughs> so there's something that I really like about just being in stealth mode about it. Um, and there's something of that also in Zoom, like the fact that you have the option to like not have your screen on or just like even the fact that there is, you know, there's like physical distance between you. There's like a screen, like chunks of your body are missing that um introduces kind of like anonymity where i kind of like it as like a space of possibility like anything could happen 
like when nobody when when things are parts of you are invisible and mm-hmm. are like intentionally invisible in that way i don't know there's just something there that i've been thinking about because yeah. it's actually it's it's also sad you know i think um the loss of physical spaces i think has been very difficult for a lot of us um and like a lot of us lost gigs too right like when when the pandemic hit and that was like a a toll and so I've been kind of like trying to look at different silver linings like are there moments of play inside of this you know um new climate of fuck shittery um and the 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 piece around anonymity has been something that I've been kind of circling back to I would like to jump in for a second and and kind of add to this and that I think I, I miss the physical space as well. And I, I keep trying to imagine a world where we kind of go back to normal is such a, is such a loaded word, but, right. um, but I, I'm assuming that I would imagine that the Zoom fatigue that we've all felt will mm-hmm. create a period where, where we see less of it or very little of it at some point. And I, but I do hope that the poetry community keeps doing a certain amount of it because I think that through COVID we have we have gotten this international community together. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I know even with my with my journal, uh, the Night Heron Barks, we've had a couple Zoom readings. I was able to put lineups of poets together that I would never be able to do. Yeah. Right. I got yeses from poets that maybe would not have given me a yes, um, but for the the the, the platform, yeah. and and um, it it it's so hard because I think that this is such quiet work that poets do, and the opportunity to be in person and meet people and and read in front of people and see people is is our our moment to make noise, and that's so important. Um, but at the same time, the, the kind of audiences that we're able to draw online and, uh, the access and, and this is a spoken art and, 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 and these are devices on which we can then speak that art through, um, I think is special for, 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 for a lot of things, but, but especially for poetry. Yeah, Rogan, Night Hair and Barks, by the way, is gorgeous. Right? It's a beautiful magazine and the quality of the work there is just staggeringly good. And um, I, I love hearing you say that too, that, that, that these technologies allow you to um, get a range of, of voices in the magazine and also in your events too. Um, and on the opposite end of that, Kathy and I have been around you know, for quite a while in the poetry world and community in Philadelphia. And Kathy, you know what I'm remembering? Um, Lamont Steptoe and Poets and Prophets, right? Like, so like 1980s Philadelphia, right? Um, like a, a, a group of writers who would meet at um, the Middle East Cafe, I think it was, like upstairs. Um, and, and these writers would just come together and share their work on a weekly basis. And it was not quite impromptu, right? And it was a, a collective of, of folks from the Philly scene um, that it, it was just an, uh, an aspire, like inspirational space for aspiring writers to feel like they belong to something 
aside from the, the, the space in their notebooks, right? And it just was transformative. So I just want to give a shout out to Lamont Stepso. I remember that work in the 1980s. Yeah, well, <clears throat> that's, I guess what we're talking about a lot is we sometimes get inspired, we sometimes get influenced, right, right. from our community, and that can, those both can be um, positive and negative, right, you just have to be. I'll, I'll say in, in response to kind of like some of what Rogan was saying about, particularly about getting bigger names and having sort of, you know, more famous people who can sort of come to things because it's easier you don't have to travel and you know um at the beginning of the pandemic that really worried me because i was like wait then it's all just television right like if right. um if anyone can be anywhere at any time like you know then why be in philadelphia why be in new mexico why be wherever you are and you know that farm league you know that the people who are not well known yet the people who are still working things out who are using those readings you know are we still going to be cultivating those voices if um we're all kind of competing for the same um national set of poets um and i think the the answer is yes i mean i think the answer is is that it's it hasn't turned into television but it does have a kind of um there's still a kind of localness to it. And I actually, I, I think it's, I've always been really jealous of actors who get to go backstage and take off their makeup, right? That there's a kind of necessary transition between being a performer and then going back to your personal life. And that that, that dressing room and that kind of departure from the theater is, is kind of, makes me a little jealous. But I know I, I do have friends who are really thrilled, particularly friends who have, um, disabilities or pain that a lot of people don't really know about um mm -hmm. and traveling is much harder on them than people realize and that being able to kind of turn off the camera and just be home is is hugely um is is hugely wonderful for them like i mean it, it really makes their lives a lot easier um i didn't want to record and we've we've obviously been in this space i mean you know when zoom became when everyone learned about zoom in 2020 we all knew about Zoom because we've been recording slush pile for years on Zoom. So it was a familiar interface. Um, and when we moved KGB online, I didn't want to record it um, because mm -hmm. I thought that the aura, right, the, that Benjaminian aura <laughs> would persist in being live. Um, and I was overruled and we record them. And actually, if you want to see the KGB readings, they're all um, on my YouTube. Um, but Richard McCann gave one of Richard McCann read for us, and and I'd known his health was poor, but um, he died soon after. And having that recording um, yeah. completely changed my relationship to the way we're using technology in the pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm sorry. You go. Either. I'm sorry. I, I just wanted to jump in on that too and say, like, you know, our early days in the slush pile for us, part of it was um, because I had I left the States and but didn't want to leave PBQ. So this, I mean, you know, Cynthia, here's the the truth, the truth behind the scenes. Like I love Kathy and Jason so much. I just didn't want to stop. <laughs> right. So like how you know, how do, how do I stretch that? Right. Like how can I stay part of it? And this technology allowed that to happen. So that's a very selfish sort of statement. But I wonder if Jason and Cynthia and Rogan, if you might guys might want to talk about like 
like personal community. Like I know Jason has been involved with um, Edelmon and Jennifer L. Knox for years as part of a, um, just a, a really robust and generous um, nurturing group of writers. Like does that, like when we talk, are we talking capital C poetry community or small C? Um, and how does that work for you guys, you know? Well, I'll, I'll start with that particular relationship where we're kind of first readers and we're in pretty constant touch. It's usually through email and through texting. There's actually not a lot of Zooming. And so that relationship actually was a sort of wonderfully stable one for me that didn't really change um, during the pandemic. And so I was, I mean, I'm, I've been really, really blessed to meet, you know, really great writers that I've stayed friends with. But um, I, I'm, I have mostly been a Zoom. I, I will not go to any I will not go to high holiday, like all the Jewish stuff. I didn't go to Zoom seders. I won't do Zoom Hanukkah lightings. Like I've, I've just been like, nope, I will not. Um, and that hasn't changed yet, it may. Um, and, but a lot of family stuff, like a lot of parties, like I've, I've been to a couple of Zoom parties and I'm, I'm not sorry that I went, but I, it's still drinking alone. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I clocked out on Zoom happy hours sometime, sometime maybe in the dead of winter. We're like, just can't do that anymore. It's not fun. Cannot do it. Yeah, I mean, I guess we all are saying too, if we could just keep the best parts of this as we, you know, keep on keeping on, you know, you know, like at Drexel, they have some courses that are high flex. So some people are on a Zoom screen in the room and some people are in the room. Mm -hmm. And you know that would work so well for some of the things that we're talking about. We could still stomp our feet, Cynthia, and okay. make noise, right? And, and nod and make those little body sounds. Like I'm sure all of us who teach miss just students breathing, the little chortles, the little like, you know, just that, that the knowing that you are with other humans, yeah. uh, um, but we can still have special guests, you know, you know, talking heads from other places and people in the, and, you know, you're doing both. You can log in or you can come. Right. That would be nice. You know, piggybacking off of that, you know, I think one of the things that, that also is tied into this is, 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 is accessibility. And, uh, financial accessibility and yeah. and you know when we talk about um making the community more accessible and and more inclusive uh, there there's no greater exclusive excluding element than than financial and i mean awp is 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 sort of you know the classic example of that of of, mm -hmm. of the haves and have nots and who can travel and right. I mean, there's a lot of cost involved in that and, uh, and I, I, I do think that in certain cases, some of the technology levels some of that, that field um, or, or certainly creates some opportunity. And, uh, yeah. and that I think at some point. Although there's also, I mean, I, I teach at a community college and um, in, I've been on sabbatical, but in spring 2020, I was asking my students, um, what's the biggest barrier to completing this course? And one of my students, um, she's a mom and she has two school-age kids and they had one laptop. 
-hmm. and really spotty Wi-Fi access. And so I, I think a lot of times like we, we also forget that access to technology, that, you know, like when we, we you know, uh, I, was, I was talking to someone um, who moved, I was being mean, but they had moved their job interviews from MLA to Zoom. And I was like, oh, so you don't support MLA, you wanna support Zoom. You think Zoom needs that support. And like, I mean, and I, I was being a little bit, I was, I was kind of poking a bit, but I do think that like, you know, when we talk about accessibility, um, digital accessibility also require, like we, we've, we've transferred a lot of our resources to tech companies without really thinking about the fact that we were doing it because it kind of feels invisible. Yeah, I think that's a really, really great point. I remember I was teaching at Bryn Mawr <clears throat> uh, during the pandemic and my partner was teaching uh, at Community College of Philadelphia. And the degree of like access, the differences of access issues that we face as um, educators were like completely opposite because he was precise, he was exactly trying to figure that out. So many of his students didn't have access to laptops and how would he stay in touch with them um and he was making these kinds of like you know uh just above and beyond accommodations for office hours thinking about like when could people come over to like a cousin's house to use the thing after their kids are asleep and they have childcare and they finished work so um sometimes he was working until very late into the night and um and I think about that too, because there's also just like the way in which this technology makes us, it like, if we have access to it, it connects us so much more easily, but then it also forces us to be like really, really flexible or conditions us to be very flexible with our time and yeah. our boundaries and, you know, kind of just like being ever present. Um, so I don't know, that's, that's, it's still something I'm figuring out and evolving with um there is something about it that feels like reminiscent for me um i've migrated twice like first from indonesia to canada and then from canada to the united states as an adult so i was like 10 when we first moved um but you know there was like that first migration it was so total like the separation was like this because there was like no internet and phone calls were very expensive. Like it was a sudden, it was like the death of a world. Like that's yeah. what it felt like. Like your world literally ended and you have to suddenly participate in a new one. Um, the second time was like 2012. So there was, you know, there it was a lot easier to, to do phone calls. Like internet is like already normalized, blah, blah, blah. And there's like this kind of, um, so I feel like this weird, pressure sometimes where now that everything you know where four years I felt like I had to catch up to what was happening back home because there was like this stretch of like blankness yeah um and now there's something about being able to be in real time with each other where there's like less catch up on a in, a, in like a vertical sense, but like there's so much catching up to do in the horizontal sense and that like anything can be happening at any time. So I feel like I personally, I feel like my sense of time has been completely reorganized. Oh, um, 
by the by the pandemic and by the way that like we interact with each other. Yeah. My sense of time is is dreadful. I have no idea when anything is happening. I am just like, and also because because with Zoom you can be you can like. In the real world, if you're late, you're just not going to get there. <laughs> you need like an hour to be there and you're not going to make it. Whereas with Zoom, it's like, oh, it started a minute ago. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah. But I, I, just to connect these, these two things, Jason and Cynthia too, it's like, I think part of the reason I, I struggle with time now too is we're like stretched and holding different worlds in our minds at all times, right? So it's like you're holding your world and all of its constituents spinning puzzle parts in that constellation, but then you're holding whoever's in Canada or in, in, in Singapore, you know what I mean? Like th those worlds are are with you, right? And I'm sorry, you said it, it was in Indonesia, is that where you migrated from, right? Yeah. So like, like you might be holding that world and this world and, and like simultaneously, and then which time zone are you in, right? And which means no time zones or all time zones. Like it's all time, all the time. And that's hard. <laughs> oh, I'm all the time. I remember thinking years back when the when we first started, uh, when we went to AWP after Facebook and Instagram and all of that. And I thought, wow, nobody's going to have to catch up. What are we going to say to each other? What is there to talk about? You know, because I already know that you were in. Denver and that you, you know, hiked this and all that stuff, right? But but I think, Cynthia, there is just something, all of you, so different about being face-to-face. -face. You still manage to find things to talk about, right? Even if you know the social media facts about a person's life. Yeah. So I think we've been chatting a while. So I would like to uh, throw out there, was there anything like knowing this topic, was there any Thing that we didn't cover that you were hoping to chat about? Anybody? Rogan, I have my question for you. Because I think it is an important one and to do with community. By creating a new literary magazine, when you know CLMP tells us that there's more than 6,000 at any given moment, right? Yeah. Um, and because some, you know, literary magazines can be like garage bands, right? Where let's make a magazine and then they get bored and stop or find out that it's actually work and stop. What, what did you see your magazine bringing to the poetry community that wasn't already served in other, by other magazines? Does that make sense? Or is that yeah. aggressive? <laughs> no, um, I, I think that I think to my shame, I came at it kind of selfishly. Um, I was really only thinking of myself as a, as a poet and, and in my own poet life and feeling that I was struggling to find good spaces and spaces that I, that I wanted to be part of. Um, and, and, I, and so I think that I sort of approached this not knowing what I was getting into. And I, I had some assumptions about what other journals were doing that I didn't think was was okay. And and then of course you start to build this thing and you realize, oh, that's why they don't do that. That's so much work, you know, <laughs> or or that's horrifically expensive. Um, and but I think what came out of that is is that I I really started to care about other people's writing more than my own, which surprised me. And and I thought that. 
I don't, I know, I know all those things. I had all those friends tell me, don't do it. There's too many already. Um, but there aren't ever enough good spaces. And there are always poets out there that need to be heard, need to be seen. Um, and, and, I, and I think that we do try to mix known poets with unknown poets. Mm -hmm. And, and um, we try to cultivate a very diverse space. And, and, and that starts simply with voice. And, and interestingly enough, suddenly, you know, region, background, all of that affects the, the voice of the poet anyway. So you start to get the, that diversity. And, um, and, and we, we made a point to try to publish a, a, a large number of poets per issue, um, which has been challenging, but rewarding. And, uh, and, I, and I think that we wanted to create a, a, a beautiful space that was thought well of, that was hopefully if it could be more accessible. I don't know if we've done that, but we're, we're, that's what we're trying to do. I appreciate that. I mean, even with all this talk of community, so many people do still feel like they're writing into a void, right? Um, that's, I mean, the main reason why we started this podcast was for exactly that reason, because we felt that maybe poets need to see how much time we do give each and every poem. And, um, you know, we can talk for 20 minutes about a six line poem easily, right? We have to stop ourselves and go, oh gosh, we better move on. Um, and that was really one of the biggest reasons for doing it is to make poets feel, to let them see how much they're heard and how much we respond, right? Um, I know that Frontier Poetry does a project where they do um, like an online workshop system. And um, I was helping them out with that. And almost every cover letter said, I just need to know what people think. I'm putting all these words on the page and I don't know what anybody thinks of, of the work, right? So um, yeah, I guess that's one of the biggest, that that basic reason, Rogan, is I guess why every literary magazine starts, right? Mm -hmm. To give a space for writers that might not otherwise be heard. And PBQ, you know, has always, we, we, um, we're proud of our democratic editorial system which is another reason why we do this. And and hope that we're as eclectic as you're talking about too. You know, that there's people with books. And I remember one particular issue, I was really pleased because we had um, a poem by Greg Pardlow and we had our youngest poet ever, I think about like 18 or 20. Uh, and we were, and it was their first publication. And we were like, that's all right. You know, Greg got the Pulitzer that year or something. It was like, okay, so. Um, well, does anybody have any other things they wanted to talk about on this topic, or should we say love you and see you October 2nd? I think we should love you and see you, but I, I do want to say, I, I really want to, later, I want to have the conversation about the anonymity of the mask. I can talk to myself now in public, and there's no reason not to, because yeah. I'm under a mask. Exactly. Yes, right, yes. right, right. When Matt, when we first started wearing them, I was scared. I remember being in stores and feeling really like threatened and intimidated by everybody else because of that mask. Like not just seeing a, a normal, you know, just those little smiles you give each other as you pass in a store. Like I was just threatening always. I felt very threatened. 
कर रहे हैं I do want to add something quick to the magazine conversation just sure. like uh like as someone who came to poetry through reading like and not because there were poetry spaces that I could attend um but it was like literally through books through journals through online journals that I was able to access like free shit you know free shit that I can read right um i cannot speak enough to the how so how much i appreciate um the independent journals that are out there that um are creating these spaces where i also find often like the most lively experimentation to happen yeah. because i think like the big um you know the big journals tend to stick with particular formal conventions and like so i really also see them as kinds of like hubs for experimenting mm-hmm. with form with like different um ways of communicating with each other and like so much of my community um today i mean like here for example like is the perfect example is the result of connections made through um the journals and through the magazine space and so like i i really really feel like it's and and i and i appreciate that now there's a much it's it's like getting much more normal to like have publications online like we're we're seeing yeah. a little less of the fetish with like the print form um i think that i've experienced i've appreciated too because i really relied on those like that's how i met so like i learned of so many different people's works absolutely uh, that yeah. i wouldn't otherwise have ever heard of So yeah, so thank you so much to everyone here who does that excellent good work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, thank you. Well, thank you everybody for being here today and having this conversation and if uh slushies if anybody's in the region, uh do come to Collingswood. It's a train ride from Philly, a very smooth and fast train ride and um and it's a cute little town and it's a wonderful fair. And Cynthia is the keynote reader. I'm hosting an open mic. And Rogan, what are you doing? Uh we have we have 45 minutes in the tent right before Cynthia. So we're 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 the warm up act to Cynthia's uh There you go. Reading. There awesome. you go. You're, you're curating uh, a reading, right? You're you're yes. Yeah, yeah, I'm bringing your writers. That's wonderful. All right. So, thank you. Slushies, let us know what you think about poetry and community and all of this and masks. And um thanks again. Woohoo! Bye. Thank you. Thank you to everyone. Thank Keep you. Keep reading. Oh, October 2nd. Awesome. October 2nd. Yep. October 2nd.